So, good evening, brothers and sisters. How are y'all today? Great. Great? Wow. That's good. Some of you great, some of you good, some of you not so good. Um, so, last week... Last week, I believe we went through the realization of the three true knowledges, and we went through some of the um, metaphor yeah, of the wet, sappy wood. Mm. So we went through the first two, and the third one, um, and we also go through some of the practices that the Buddha went through. Uh, including holding uh, holding the breath and then experiencing very strong excruciating pain, violent pains in the head. Um, and I believe we stopped at uh, paragraph, is it 24 or 25? 25? So have we covered 25? Yes. Huh? So this week, um, we look at 26 onwards. I think we went through 26 actually. Yeah, we read 26 also. Yeah, so these are descriptions of the different practices he did. Mm. So if you compare this with the earlier uh, sutta, I mentioned about how the, the earlier sutta didn't cover uh, the ascetic practices. Yeah. Uh, so here it, it describes the ascetic practices that the Buddha went through. So if you can follow me, page 63, paragraph 26. Now when deities saw me, some said, the ascetic Gotama is dead. Other deities said, the ascetic Gotama is not dead, he is dying. And other deities said, the ascetic Gotama is neither dead nor dying, he is an arahant. For such is the way Arahans dwell. I thought, suppose I practice entirely cutting off food. Then deities came to me and said, Good sir, do not practice entirely cutting off food. If you do so, we shall infuse heavenly food into the pores of your skin, and this will sustain you. I considered, if I claim to be completely fasting, while these deities infuse heavenly food into the pores of my skin, and this sustains me, then I shall be lying. So I dismiss those deities, saying, there is no need. Mm. <laughs> this is interesting, huh? So part of ascetic practices is the practice of entirely cutting off food. Yeah. Now, some of you may then think, or some people may then think, eh, it precepts, you also cut off food. Yeah, but that is not entirely cutting off food. Uh, you still take your lunch. Yeah, and in, the, in most cases today, we also have breakfast, isn't it? Yeah. But here, uh, the Buddha, at the point when he was practicing, he was considering to cut off food entirely. Yeah, cut off food entirely. Yeah. Uh, but in this case, uh, heavenly beings, the deities actually came to talk to him. Yeah. 
discouraging him and actually said that if you were to cut off food in this way, we will infuse food through your skin pores. Yeah? The, the pores of your skin. Wow. This is better than IV drip. Huh? <coughs> Directly into your, the pores of your skin. Uh, so, that being the case, then the Buddha decided, okay, if he were to do that, and the heavenly beings were to infuse him with food through the skin pores, then he would be lying. So he didn't want to do that. 28. I thought, suppose I take very little food, a handful each time, whether of bean soup or lentil soup or veg soup or pea soup. So I took very little food, a handful each time, whether of bean soup or lentil soup or veg soup or pea soup. While I did so, my body reached a state of extreme emaciation because of eating so little, my limbs became like the jointed segments of vine stems or bamboo stems. Because of eating so little, my backside became like a camel's hoof. Because of eating so little, the projections on my spine stood forth like corded beads. Because of eating so little, my ribs jutted out as gaunt as the crazy rafters of an old ropeless bun. Because of eating so little, the gleam of my eyes sank far down in their sockets, looking like the gleam of water that has sunk far deep in a deep well. Because of eating so little, my scalp shriveled and withered as a green bitter god shrivels and withers in the wind and sun. Because of eating so little, my belly skin adhered to my backbone. Thus, if I touch my belly skin, I encountered my backbone and if I touch my backbone, I encountered my belly skin. Because of eating so little, if I defecated or urinated, I fell over on my face there. Because of eating so little, if I tried to ease my body by rubbing my limbs with my hands, the hair rotted at its roots fell from my body as I rubbed. Mm. So, Oftentimes, we will hear about the Buddha doing extreme asceticism in terms of food, yeah, eating very little. And this is where the description comes from. And you can see that um, the description is such that it is very um, extreme and severe. <clears throat> You'll find in some temples uh, the statue of a Buddha that looked like a skeleton. So that depiction is about this, yeah. Before the Buddha uh, attained enlightenment, when he was practicing as a uh, ascetic, <clears throat> the one that most people can re probably remember is the description here of touching the backbone and the belly. Yeah, uh, this is often the highlight. Uh, now, and as I've mentioned before. This is not the way to go, yeah? which later you'll see again, the Buddha highlighting that this doesn't bring about liberation. Oh. Uh, yes? Yeah. I thought whether 
whatever aesthetics of Brahmins in the past had experienced hey, sorry. hateful. Uh, paragraph 29. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Paragraph 29. <coughs> now, when people saw me, some say the aesthetic Gotama is black. Other people say the aesthetic Gotama is not black, he is brown. Other people say the aesthetic Gotama is neither black or brown, he is golden skin. So much had the clear, bright color of my skin deteriorated through eating so little. Thank you. So, uh, he practiced to the point where his skin color changed. Yeah, the pigmentation changed. Uh, you can see from the last part, uh, he is uh, the acetic Godama is neither black nor brown. He is golden skin. Yeah, so the black and brown is referring to the color of his skin. Yeah, but what happened? So much had the color, had the clear bright color of my skin deteriorated through eating so little. Mm. Uh, so if you feel that you are too fair, you only be darker. Uh, just eat lesser and lesser until you become <laughs> yeah, your skin don't have enough nutrient to renew itself huh? mm. but do we have this problem in Singapore? Uh, we don't yeah, Singaporeans are very well nourished so well nourished uh, people take fruits, cuts, thin slices not for their father and mother but for their skin huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, cut thin slices put on the skin yeah all kinds of things. Uh, okay, Jin. Welcome back. Thank you. <clears throat> I thought, whatever aesthetics of Brahmin in the past have experienced painful, racking, piercing feelings due to the exertion, this is the utmost. There is none beyond this. And whatever aesthetics and Brahmins in the future will experience painful, racking, piercing feelings due to exertion, this is the utmost. There is none beyond this, and whatever ascetics and Brahmins at present experience painful, racking, piercing feelings due to exertion, this is the utmost. There is none beyond this, but by this racking a practice of austerities, I have not attained any superhuman distinction in knowledge and vision worthy of the noble ones. Could there be another path to enlightenment? Thank you. Mm. Yeah. So, here it... It, the, the statement by the Buddha that he has practiced to the point where um, the amount of pain uh, that he experienced painful, racking, piercing feelings whatever that has been experienced by ascetics or Brahmins in the past or in the future yeah, or those at the present uh, no one has experienced as much. Yeah, uh, there's no one who has gone beyond this. That means he has reached the 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 max. Yeah, uh, this is this part is very important. Yeah, why? Because um, when he makes such a statement, it is uh, it is crucial because it means that it's not as though he tried halfway. That he do a he make a half baked attempt and then give up, yeah. But he has done to the max beyond anyone has ever experienced, yeah. So no, as a result, when he speak to the ascetics later, none of them can 
challenge him and say, but you never try harder. Yeah? Uh. So, uh, Lily? I consider, I recall that when my father, the Sakya, was mm-hmm. occupied, while I was sitting in a cool shape of rose apple trees, secluded from the sensual pleasures, secluded from unwholesome states, I entered and dwelled in the first jhana, which is accompanied by thought and examination, with rapture and happiness born of seclusion. Could this be the path to enlightenment? Then following on that memory came the realization. This is indeed the path to enlightenment. Thank you. Yeah, so this is the this is the recollection that the Buddha had of a time when he was much younger mm-hmm. uh, and I believe this is the uh, naming ploughing ceremony where he sat and then he meditated and actually attained jhana mm-hmm. yeah. and that was way back when he was a child yeah, when he was still a child the description here entered jhana <laughs> 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 secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unwholesome states, I entered and dwelt in the first jhana. So if you look at other texts that talk about meditation, whether it's the Satipatthana Sutta or the uh, uh, what is that? The Anapanasati Sutta, various suttas talking about development of jhana. Uh, this is this part will be there, yeah. That a person practice to the point where the person become freed, yeah, become uh, distant, become secluded from sensual pleasures, and secluded from unwholesome states. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Chinese, we have this term, xun si le xing yi jing xing, the five factors of jhana. Now. The first two are applied and sustained thoughts. Then the next two, uh, rapture and joy. But these two rapture, this rapture and joy for first jhana is different from that in the second, third, and fourth. Yeah. Uh, of course, in the third and fourth, then even this rapture and joy start to is being uh, abandoned. Yeah. So what is the distinction? Distinction is in the first jhana. The bliss or rapture and joy, if you will, arises due to um, being freed of sensual pleasure. When you stop being preoccupied with sensual pleasure, in other words, uh, don't when you can divorce yourself from your senses for a certain duration of time, yeah, enough for the mind to become settled. Before we attain first jhana, or before we do adequate meditation, uh, senses, senses stimulus is no issue. Yeah? It may come across as the norm. In fact, it is the norm for everybody. But when you start to apply yourself and become distant from the, the stimulation of the senses, or the pleasure that arises from it, then you start to observe that 
as far as the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and the body, in, in particular the first five senses, uh, physical senses, you'll find that uh, the stimulus from the first five senses are agitating in nature. Yeah? It causes the mind to become agitated. Uh, but because since young, and in fact, if we go uh, on and on from past lives, uh, we have been, we have been um, engulfed by this wave after wave of stimulus. Yeah. So we have not experienced the non-stimulus of the senses. So it's hard to imagine. Huh? Yeah. If you read many of the texts, whether by uh, the Buddha himself, the suttas, or some of the modern uh, meditators, uh, the description, no matter how they describe, may be hard for us to imagine. Yeah? And for some people, it may seem like uh, a bit of disbelief. Yeah? But if one day you can uh, do some of these practices, then uh, the mind becomes suitably quiet, even though the initial uh, stage it may not last, uh, not, not that long anyway, uh, but at least you have a taste of it. Uh, then you realize, wow, <laughs> uh, there's something else beyond our senses. Yeah? Uh, in the past few urban retreats, I've been highlighting the need to have noble silence. Yeah? Uh, but if, if I go down too hard, then <laughs> everybody run away. Huh? Uh, but this coming urban retreat, will be harder because it's a stained retreat. Mm. Yeah. Uh, why, why is there a need for that? Because uh, many people, when they go for a more serious retreat, it's tough initially, but uh, when you really do not engage uh, in, senses, in the senses and even talking, yeah, uh, then your mind can really slowly quieten. Uh, solely quietened. Uh, so this coming urban retreat, uh, I will be limiting. I will be limiting even the dharma talks to only in the evening. Yeah. In the day, mostly will be just silence, sitting and walking. Uh, so I will only give some instructions right at the start, and the rest of the retreat, mostly silence. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. So here. Uh, the Buddha recalled how it was like when he was much younger. Uh, HK? Okay. I considered. Uh, I think it's uh, 32. Para 32. 32. I thought, why am I afraid of that happiness that has nothing to do with sensual pleasures and unwholesome states? I thought, I'm not afraid of that happiness that has nothing to do with sensual pleasures and unwholesome states. Mm, thank you. Happiness that has nothing to do with sensual pleasures and unwholesome states. <laughs> so, you, if you consider, uh, do you all have happiness in your life? Say yes. Yes, yes of course we have. And then you ask yourself, how much of that happiness has something to do with the senses, the five senses? Yeah. Uh, and how much of it has nothing to do with the five senses? Five senses referring to eye, ears, nose, tongue, body. Yeah. In other words, uh, carnal 
or physical pleasure. Yeah, uh, this includes uh, lust. Yeah, uh, but it it includes and extends beyond that. Yeah. So meaning, so that's why in Buddhist meditation we rarely play music for you to meditate together. Uh, in many meditation classes, students have asked Sufu, can we meditate with some background music? Yeah. Uh, is it okay if I play uh, chanting? Uh, okay as an as a preliminary, but at a later stage you must switch it off also. Yeah. So if you can meditate without the music, better to meditate without the music right from the start. Jialing. Oh. Uh, it is not easy to attain that happiness with the body so excessively emaciated. Suppose I ate some solid food, some boiled rice and porridge, and I ate some solid food, some boiled rice and porridge. Now at the time five months to waiting accordingly. Thinking, if our ascetic Kotama achieves some higher state, he will inform us. But when I ate the white rice and porridge, the five months were disgusted and left. Thinking, the ascetic Gotama now lives like now lives luxuriously. He has given up his striving and reverted to luxury. Thank you. <laughs> the ascetic Gotama now lives luxuriously. Yeah. What did he do? He ate some solid food. Yeah. Just by eating some solid food. And what kind of solid food? Some boiled rice and porridge. Wow. To the five ascetics. Yeah. They look at this and they consider this is living luxuriously. Mm. And so they, they thought that the Buddha at that point in time, ascetic Gotama, has given up his striving and reverted to luxury. Yeah. So you can see the flow from him doing the practice to the max. And then he considered that this kind of practice that leads to a lot of pain does not lead to superhuman distinction in knowledge and vision worthy of the noble ones. Then he considered that when he was young, he was able to attain jhanas yeah, such that there is happiness that is not... Uh, not that has nothing to do with sensual pleasures and unwholesome states. Yeah? Uh, then, after that, he considered further, hmm, not so easy to practice if your body is totally um, like weak and uh, uh, unable to sustain itself. Huh? When you go without food or go with so little food for extended duration, then your body becomes very weak yeah, emaciated, become very weak, become uh, unable to sustain itself. Yeah. So he considered to eat solid food. Yeah, solid food. Uh, so, uh, bivy, yeah, bivy. Okay. Now when I eaten solid food and regained my strength, then secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unwholesome states. I entered and dwelt in the first jhana, which is accompanied by thought and examination, with rapture and happiness born of seclusion. But such such pleasant feeling that arose in me did not invade my mind and remain. Thank you. 
Yeah. So uh, after eating, then he had regained his strength and secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unwholesome states. I entered and dwelt in the first jhana. Yes. Here he says that uh -huh. in, when he was a child, yeah. he will he will already join the first jhana. Yeah. So now he's actually, um, so he's from childhood, this time that he's still in the first jhana. No, no, no. So, um, okay, Christina asked a question regarding paragraph 31, yeah. Uh, that he recalled that as a child he was sitting in a cool shade and so on. Uh, I entered and dwelt in the first jhana and so on. Uh, he was referring to that at that point in time, as a child he entered and dwelt in it. That doesn't mean that he just continued in first jhana all the way. Uh, so he sit for a while, then when he finished, he get out, he exit first jhana. Uh, uh, as a child, you enter huh? the first jhana. If you continue for a uh, little again, like a little earlier, can I say that? Uh, well, there's no counterfactual. <laughs> well, can he, by entering first jhana and continue on, attain enlightenment? Uh, hard to say. Eh? Hard to say. Because there are other meditators in the Buddha's time who also attain first jhana, second jhana and so on, who attain various states of samadhi, uh, but they never attain enlightenment. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so it is not a given that when you attain first jhana and you just continue practicing, that you will definitely attain enlightenment. The wisdom portion, the pasana portion, is crucial. Yeah. So when we practice meditation for a start, uh, attaining samadhi, attaining jhana, the mind becomes quiet. But what you do with the quiet mind uh, makes a difference. Uh, makes a difference. Yeah. So, um, uh, as I said, the Buddha didn't do that. So, uh, hard to say whether he will definitely attain enlightenment at a young age. Okay, so um, let's see. So first jhana, if you can follow me on para thirty four, just now I mentioned the five factors, yeah, thought and exam examination. So there are different translation. Here the translation that Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi uses is thought and examination. Uh, in some other translation they use applied and sustained thought. Then here, the, after that, rapture and happiness. In some other text, rapture and joy. And you notice that here it only lists out four. Yeah? Uh, but in many other sutras, we usually talk about five factors. The last one is single-pointedness. So what is thought and examination? Uh, in the in the lineage that I was trained in, so uh, these two parts. Uh, one is to apply the, the mind towards the object of meditation. 
yeah, and the the first part, yeah. Uh, you can look at the word thought as okay to bring the mind towards the uh, meditation object, uh, in a way to think about it, uh, <laughs> uh, to just keep on hammering the mind at the uh, uh, meditation object. The second part, in in the lineage I was trained in, uh, you don't just uh, observe, but you observe in great detail. Observe in great detail uh, the feature of the object of meditation. Totally absorb into it. Totally engrossed into the object. Yeah. Here, not talk- we are not talking about vipassana. Just pure samatha. No? Pure samatha. When you do that, uh, the mind may run away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the mind run away, then again you apply your mind back to the object. And so, this is why the first jhana still have apply and sustain thought. Yeah, or in this case, the translation, thought and examination. Yeah. Because the meditator at this stage still require that effort to bring the mind to the object. Still must apply it but the difference is that when they apply, after a while, you apply and it can stay there. For us, uh, some of you, maybe you apply, uh, can it stay there? Uh, maybe it can, maybe it cannot. Huh? Maybe sometimes can, sometimes cannot. <laughs> yeah. So, next. From first jhana to the second jhana, uh, blossom. Thank you. So for the second jhana here it says with the subsiding of thought and examination. Yeah, so uh, from first jhana to second jhana, the key distinction is in second jhana it becomes somewhat effortless. Yeah. You just direct your mind to the breath. If you are using the breath, then the mind just stays there. It doesn't run about anymore. Uh, so you can tell by yourself, you don't have to ask Sufu, you don't have to ask any Sayadaw or Rinpoche, do I have first jhana, second jhana? <laughs> the Buddha described it for us to measure yourself. Yeah? Uh, if you still have to wow, meditate until sweat, then the mind don't focus. Uh, uh, then you know that you haven't attained first or second jhana. Uh, but here I want to just highlight, it says with the subsiding of thought and examination. So this, this series of texts, you notice that the Buddha didn't describe how he attained these states. Yeah? The Buddha just described the result yeah? from one state to another state. So, uh, within, within the other sutras and commentaries, then there's a lot more description on how each of these states or this level of jhana uh, uh, is attained. You know? 
So for example, with the subsiding of thought and examination, while we we attain first jhana <coughs> by applying our thought towards the meditation object, uh, there are also other preliminary practices to be done. Yeah? One of them is overcoming of sensual pleasure, uh, if it's if it's active. Yeah? Then there are other practices to overcome the five hindrances. Some of these can be considered part of thought and examination. So, thought and examination help us to attain first jhana, but to go from first jhana to the second jhana, then you must abandon this thought and examination. So, in, in the practice, by the time you reach first jhana, once you can reach first jhana, then you must observe and you must reflect on how this method itself is uh, not perfect. That even when you are putting in effort to, to apply yourself towards the meditation object, this mental effort itself is uh, unsettling. Yeah? It's agitating. And to consider, what if I can apply my mind there without having the effort? Yeah. So this is uh, in the in the commentary, it is described as to reflect on the thoughts and thoughts and uh, shortcomings of the lower state, and then to reflect on the benefits of the higher state. Yeah. I'm gonna just tell you in brief, uh, otherwise you know you might get lost. Uh. So by doing that, uh, then you move from first jhana to second jhana. Now, if I were to bring this to, let's say, uh, your day-to-day -day life, then you can consider, ah, maybe you are now working as, a, let's say, uh, an auditor. Uh, then, to get to become an auditor, you must study university. But now, you cannot be always thinking about studying university. You must now do your audit work. Uh, but later on, when you become a manager, you cannot continue to do the ground level work. Yeah? But some managers continue to want to do all the ground level work. Huh? Uh, and maybe even want to be very involved in the ground level work. <laughs> yeah. Then the car care will feel that, oh, no, this boss is uh, micromanager. <laughs> uh, so cannot fully uh, fulfill the role of a proper manager. Yeah? In some ways, there's that parallel. Parallel are not the same. Huh? Okay? So, first jhana, second jhana. By second jhana, the mind becomes even quieter, even subtler, even calmer, because uh, through the practice, then even thought and examination subside. Then, internal confidence and unification of the mind without thought and examination. Uh, this is where rapture and happiness, a different kind arise. Uh, now it is born of concentration. Yeah. So first jhana for many people is wow, but actually first jhana is just entry level. Huh? And if you look at the various texts, we usually talk about four jhanas, uh, but there's also description of five jhana. What is five jhana? So between jhana one and jhana two, or first and second jhana, there's a zhongjian chan. Yeah, so uh, in between, 1.5. So this 1.5 is between 
first and second jhana. Yeah, so first jhana, xun si si le xin jing xin, you xun you si di. Then here, wu xun wei si di. Then wu xun wu si di. Yeah, so uh, in between state, then uh, the thought thought is removed. Then only examination. Wu xun wei si di. Yeah. Why? Because once you meditate for a while, you are able to apply your mind there yeah, uh, without running too much. So you don't have to keep on bringing it back anymore. The bring back part, you don't have to do. Uh, but you still need to focus, yeah, bring your mind, your, your mind you must just press it there. But until the later stage, when you reach second jhana, then you don't have to do any of this at all. Uh, so that's a gradual step also. Uh, So this is a description of the third jhana. So if again from second to third jhana, one more item is being stripped away. What is it? Rapture. Yeah. Uh, so uh, rapture and joy, these two are basically pleasant feelings, but one is the the one that is from the body, the other one is from the mind. Yeah. Rapture is usually described as a uh, almost like a high physical feeling. Yeah. Physically, you feel very comfortable. But it's not because of the senses. Can you see the, the, the strangeness of this experience? That you can feel bodily very good, but it is not because of aircon <laughs> that you feel good. It's not because of some physical thing that you feel good. But it's because of the absence of physical stimulus. Then your 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 senses, yeah, physically you actually feel better. Yeah. Uh, anymore, you have to go and experience yourself. Huh? <laughs> so third jhana, if only you can attain first, second, third jhana as easily as just reading it, isn't it? Uh, just reading through, then quickly flip to the page where it says attain enlightenment. Then all okay, next batch come in. <laughs> yeah, if only. Uh. Actually, sometimes I have this uh, crazy idea because in US we actually have a one day retreat every single week, every week, you know. Yeah, don't need poster. We just meditate every Sunday. Yeah, don't need poster. Don't need to sign on what, what chat group. Just every Sunday we will meditate whole day. So yeah. are you gonna do this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I because now I have full control of my time. <laughs> so I feel huh? Sinking, sinking in the morning. Yeah. So because of classes. So maybe some some. Uh, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm very tempted to do that. Yeah, but 
I don't need to organize it as an event. Uh, now the trouble is to look for a place because to open up the center, we need to dis collaborate with them to have it open up. Yeah. Uh, now must go and find Joey's house. Huh? What? Joey's house. Joey's house? Joey. Joey's house. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, ah, yeah. ah, possible. Huh? Mm. So see how. Yeah. But I mean, for a start, for a start, right? Uh, remember last time I, for FBC, I wanted to do it such that uh, we end sharp at three thirty, then three forty-five to four thirty, we'll have a a slightly different thing every week. Some weeks we'll just do. Uh, extended seating, you know, yeah. So, uh, very possibly, uh, yeah, I will probably come earlier. Yeah, I find that it's it's better to come earlier. Maybe come at one uh, or something, and just meditate until two. Then, not that you all have to come for one hour sitting, but up to you all. So that the whole mood is, you know. Attuned to learning Dharma. Yeah. So your thinking is until 11 a.m. Yeah, thinking until 11 a.m. Oh, yeah. So we finish. So after 11, have lunch, then after meditate. You got lunch? Very difficult. Huh? After lunch. Oh, yeah. After lunch. Yeah, so I must have a three quarter lunch. Cannot have a full lunch. Yeah. Have full lunch then. Oh. So see how, uh, but I yeah for this I don't sign up. We just we just uh, let people know you don't have to sign up. Those who want to meditate just come. Better. Uh. Okay. Uh, yes, Joey, right? With the abandoning of pleasures as pain and the previous person of your joy and displeasure, I entered and dwelt in the fourth jhana. Mm. Thank you. Yes. So in the fourth jhana, with the abandoning of pleasure and pain, and with the previous passing away of joy and displeasure, I entered and dwelt in the fourth jhana. So here there are two pairs. Yeah, pleasure, pain, joy, and displeasure. So pleasure and pain is physical, yeah, physical. Then joy and displeasure is mental, yeah. So, in order to attain first jhana, uh, displeasure, yeah, displeasure must uh, be be subdued already. Yeah, if you still have displeasure, you cannot attain first jhana, uh, but it is implicit. <laughs> For those of you who have tried meditating when you are upset before, uh, you know that no one is stopping you, but you just cannot focus. You, your mind just cannot settle. Huh? Yeah, so, by the time a person attains first jhana, at least during that, that duration, the person's mind is free of displeasure already. Yeah? On top of that, experiencing joy and uh, that... that uh, Rapture and joy, yeah, or rapture and happiness. Uh, but 
from first jhana to second jhana, then second jhana onwards, um, part by part, even even this bodily uh, good feeling and the mental good feeling, uh, even all these are considered to be uh, agitation. For for most people, <laughs> you seem like huh? Go through all the trouble, then towards the end, all put aside. <laughs> Uh, but so this is a very this is a gradual uh, graduated path, yeah, graduated path. Yeah. Uh, so if you have if you read this and you find that wow, go through all the trouble and in the end fall jhana, abandon pleasure and pain. Pain I want to abandon. Pleasure who want to abandon? Uh, <laughs> uh, so, Ah, yes. uh-huh. Just now your second jhana, you say good feeling yes. is consi- uh, is abandoned. This good feeling is the one that arises because uh, arises from the first jhana, is it? Uh, oh, sorry, no. Second jhana itself, right? The good feeling is not abandoned yet. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. But the the thought and examination is abandoned. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Then from second to third, I may have misspoke. Huh? Okay. Yeah. Second to third jhana, then the uh, rapture is abandoned. Okay. Yeah, rapture is abandoned. Mm. Or rather, sorry, hey, let me double check. Huh? So this good feeling is rapture. Right? Yes, rapture is abandoned. Yeah, rapture is abandoned. Okay. Uh, so bit by bit, mm-hmm. uh, you can see this sequence in uh, many, many suttas that identical description. But what is most interesting is uh, in in one series of suttas, the Buddha was speaking to a group of merchants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when the Buddha initially talked to them, the Buddha didn't on the first day really hey, never attend SGC. Eh? <laughs> yeah. No. Never attend Dharma class. No. But the Buddha instead instructed them that if you want to have uh, worldly pleasure, uh, you must you must practice generosity. Uh, then you have merit and you can enjoy sensual pleasure, and you should uh, uh, pursue sensual pleasure in the right way. The Buddha don't immediately on the first day say no sensual pleasure. <laughs> Once they have done that preliminary practice, then the Buddha say, "Do you know that as a human being, whatever sensual pleasure you can enjoy?" it pales in comparison to the sensual pleasure you can experience in the heavenly sensual realm, sensual heavenly realm. Uh, then, at that point in time, they are interested. Yeah? Because they have already, you know, they are able to enjoy sensual pleasure as a human being, then the Buddha tells them, there's something more supreme. Once they practice and they are certain that they can be reborn in the heavenly realm, then the Buddha told them, but do you know that this sensual pleasure that you have, although it's very much better than a human uh, realm, but it is still agitation yeah, compared to first jhana. Yeah. So slowly the Buddha guide them to move on to the higher state of, um, of bliss. Up to even form jhana, then the Buddha told them, do you know that even this equanimity, this is... Uh, that's something that's even more supreme, Nibbana. Uh, 
Now I want to highlight something that is common throughout from para 34 to uh, 37, which is, if you notice all the last line, yeah, but such pleasant feeling that arose in me did not invade my mind and remain. Yeah. So this is the same as before when he was practicing extreme ascetism. Yeah. That pain, when it arises, it doesn't invade his mind and remain. Now, pleasant feelings also. Yeah. Pleasant feelings, when it arises through the meditation, it doesn't invade his mind and remain. So, this tells us something. Yeah. That whether it's pain or pleasure, the Buddha was able to transcend it. Yeah. He don't uh, hold on to them. He doesn't let let it uh, become a preoccupation, and in this way, he's able to to transcend and slowly overcome and go from first to second to third to fourth jhana. Yeah, because if you are preoccupied with that pleasant feeling, then you will be stuck in first jhana to begin with. In fact, if you are preoccupied with sensual pleasure, then you cannot even attain first jhana. No? Okay, so... Mm, so, Sifu, uh, uh-huh. does it imply that the peacefulness that we, we enjoy during the meditation we should not cling on to it? Uh, yes, we should not cling on to it. Mm. Yeah. When we meditate, uh, if you meditate and you put in effort, you can experience peaceful feelings, pleasant feelings. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and it's... Uh, it's <laughs> you can actually become quite attached to it. Huh? Uh, so, uh, taking the Buddha as an example, uh, we should remind ourselves. But don't be too hard on yourself. Lah, because if you can attain that, that's not bad also. <laughs> yeah? uh, just don't get stuck in it. Lah. Yeah. Once in a while, give yourself two minutes, okay. <laughs> oh. uh. Okay? Um, and see. When my mind is not concentrated, purified, bright, unblemished, full of imperfection, memorable, willing, steady, and pain to gain perpetuality, I collected it to knowledge of the recollection of past times. I recollected my manifold past times, that is, one life, a one birth, two births. Contraction. Thank you. Let's hold that. Yeah, so I want to just highlight one more thing about um, the the fourth jhana, which is equanimity. You notice that in the third jhana there's already equanimity. Yeah, he, he dwell uh, equanimous, but it's in the fourth jhana that it becomes purified. Yeah, that it reach purification. So uh You would, some of you may re- recall how I often mention about uh, the, the, the phrase neither painful nor pleasant. Mm. Yeah? 
And so sometimes translated as neutral, sometimes translated in Chinese as uh, so. Yeah. So this uh So there are different levels of sir. So this is a very high level of sir, of equanimity. Yeah, because this is this is true concentration that the person has equanimity. Yeah. So um, while all are called equanimity, but this is based on the jhana. Yeah, based on the jhana. For us, without the jhana, uh, can we actually transcend pain and pleasure? Usually, when we learn about equanimity, we the the common thing we understand is oh, treat friends and foe equally, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, our friends, we also treat nicely. Uh, those who are not nice to us, we also treat nicely, and so on. Yeah. Uh, but at the root of friends and foe, at the root of friends and foe, is basically pleasant and unpleasant feeling. Those who give us more pleasant feelings, we consider as our friends. Those who give us more unpleasant feelings, we say this is our enemy. <laughs> Or I don't like. Huh? Yeah, it's, that, it's that simple. So, at the end of the day, uh, to, to be truly equanimous is to transcend pain and pleasure. Yeah? Pleasantness and unpleasantness. To transcend these two. So, in this case, so there are many ways to transcend. Uh, this is one of the ways. Yeah? This is one of the ways. Uh, so, paragraph 38. Uh, a few words I want to highlight. So, the mind was thus concentrated, purified, bright, unblemished, rid of imperfection, malleable, yeah, wieldy. So, malleable is usually used to describe metal, yeah, that you can actually shape it. Yeah, you can shape it. So, in various suttas, the Buddha actually used the metaphor of, or, or the parable of a uh, a blacksmith, yeah, blacksmith, and he described meditation like a blacksmith uh, shaping metal, yeah. When it's uh, when it's too cold or too hot, then the blacksmith would uh, blow more air into the into the furnace, uh, increasing the temperature, and then the metal will become softer, yeah. Then he can actually shape it, but if it's uh, if the fire is too hot, then the metal loses shape also. <laughs> yeah, then you cannot shape it also. Yeah. So these two these two states, the Buddha used to describe when the mind is too active and the mind is too inactive. Yeah. Uh, so here, when the when a person meditate up to form jhana, in this case the Buddha. Uh, the mind is just nice, not too inactive, not too active, yeah. And in this way, it's malleable. Malleable in what way? Then, when the when the person direct the mind in this way or that way, are the mind follow. Yeah. And what did the Buddha do? He directed it to knowledge of the reflection of past lives. Uh, the, there's another one I want to explain. Uh, attain to imperturbability. 
perturbability. Perturbability. To be perturbed. So it means disturbed. Here, imperturbability. That means it cannot be disturbed. Yeah. The mind is very steady, very calm from moment to moment. Yeah. The even whatever happens, the mind is stable. Yeah. Of course, when I describe this, I also feel fine. Yeah. Sifu's mind also not imperturbability. You know. Sometimes, if you see that, eh, wah, sifu, wah, someone say something, then sifu, wah, you know, like putong zun like that, huh? But actually, it's not. You know, it's sifu. Sometimes funny, sifun. Yeah, there was once when I was at in Taiwan for the higher ordination. So there was this person. He overheard our conversation, so he was quite upset with what I said. So uh, when uh, when it was time to assemble tapan, then he came over. Wow! Started scolding me. People, 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 people. Ah, my tongue broke. So I was really a bit too shocked, and initially I couldn't understand what he was saying, but I know that he's talking to me. Yeah. So I just ah, my tongue broke. My tongue broke. Then after that. Maybe like five minutes or five or ten minutes. Well, why, why, why? Then finally he left. After he left, then the Dharma brother next to me, he was like, "Wow, wow, you're serious? Wow, if it's me, I'm going to do what? He said, 'No, I'm not serious. I'm just, I don't know what he's talking about.'" So. To be, to have this imperturbability is to be unmoving, yeah. But sometimes you have to be careful, huh? You you should not just try to do that directly. The why the Buddha is like that is very important. Let me explain. There are some people, no matter what you say to them, they are they won't move. We call that stubborn. Yeah. For the Buddha, he's not being stubborn. Yeah, it is that with wisdom, he's unshaking. Yeah, so he's still able to make decisions. He still can react, and he may still say this or or give way or not. You know, but inside the mind, when we say it doesn't move, it doesn't mean that you don't change your mind. It means that he doesn't give rise to defilement. The mind doesn't get agitated. Oh, that's a key thing. But why is it like that? It's not. It's not like sifu tiang tiang bi tiao. Because some people wrongly think that oh, you just do the result, then everything act blur. Tahan lam kong, nzai ni nzai ni. But that's actually not correct. Also, that's not correct. Also. So orange, if you can continue from where Nancy stopped, there I was. Such as my nutriment, such as my such my experience of pleasure and pain, such my lifespan, and passing away from them, I was reborn elsewhere. And there too, I and there too, I was so named of such a man with such an appearance, such as my nutriment, such my experience of pleasure and pain, 
touch my bloodstream and pass it away from them, I will be born them. Last week, their aspects and particulars, I recollected my many four past lives. Thank you. Yeah, so, here he never mentioned about when he specifically meditated and recollected this. But in many other sutras, then it says uh, this was done in the first watch, yeah, the first part. Oh. And the key thing here is that he recollected his own past life. Uh, one birth, two birth, three birth, and so on. And then he recalled that uh, at that point he was from this uh, he was of this name of such a clan with such an appearance and so on. Remember Sufu often mentioned in class uh, forgive but don't forget. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have basis on a I don't anyhow come out with things myself. The Buddha can remember so clearly. Yeah? But it's not that he's petty, he's wow, <laughs> In fact, if you are able to recall and remember everything clearly, you need to uh, you need to be able to recall it without the kind of emotional clouding. Yeah. And that's the difference. For most of us, uh, when we are when we want to forgive someone, we must forget about it. Yeah. Uh, but here the Buddha can recall everything very clearly. In fact, I will tell you, if you can, if you are able to really recall everything clearly, uh, you should be able to see everything clearly as well. And as a result, probably can find it easier to forgive others. Yeah? Uh, the other thing is, if you were to recall and then start to reminisce over it, uh, then it becomes a problem. Yeah? Uh, we'll see how the Buddha, through the recollection, start to give rise to wisdom. Uh, Olan? This was when I first my true knowledge to face and meet in the first watch of the night. It's mentioned here. This marvelous was finished in true knowledge to God. Sadness was finished in the world. As happened in one who built religion, suffering, grief, and so on. Thank you. Yeah. I correct myself. It is mentioned here in the first watch of the night. Yeah. So this is the first true knowledge attained by me in the first watch of the night. Ignorance was banished and true knowledge arose. Darkness was banished and light arose. As happens in one who dwells diligent, ardent and resolute, but such pleasant feeling that arose in me did not remain a bit my mind and remain. So similar to the jhana, similar to the painful feelings beforehand. So if you, whether you meditate or you practice or you do reflection, and then there's joy, you must not become attached to that joy also. So what happened next? Let's see. Sabine? Uh, I 
and his right hand with the divine hand, which is qualified and instructed by the man, and saw him passing away and being revived, and severer than his fingers, beautiful and happy, fortunate and unfortunate. And I understood how being fell on according to their action. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. Uh, let me just get uh, the next person, uh, Vivian. These beings who behave wrongly by holding speech in mind, who revile noble ones, held wrong things, and undertook actions based on wrong deeds, with the breakup of the body, after death, have been born in a state of misery, in a bad destination, in the lower world, in hell. But these beings who behave well by body, speech, and mind, who did not revile the noble ones, who held right deeds, and undertook actions, action based on right ones, with the breakup of the body, after death, have been born in a destination, in a heaven world. Thank you. Uh, Alison? Das? Thank you. So I mentioned um, several times about how uh, when the Buddha advised or gave teachings on the precepts or on morality, it is not that he just come out with some random set of rules to you know uh, to enforce on people, but it is that imagine imagine having access to everybody's life and by observing how everybody uh, behave and act in their life and how they pass away and because of those actions, whether in that life or in a past life, the ripening of the karma, then they experience pleasant or unpleasant uh, results. It is based on this that the Buddha then say, well, if you do not want to have pain, you probably don't want to kill. You probably don't want to steal, engage in sexual misconduct, or to lie. Yeah. So it, it, it is on this basis that those precepts were set. Yeah. That he saw that these actions ultimately lead to pain. So it's not so much that you cannot kill, but if you don't want to have pain, you probably don't want to do that. Yeah. Immediately when you kill someone, suffer pain. You don't suffer, ma. Uh, but and as long as you do that, one day uh, you're going to suffer some consequences. Yeah. So here, um, saw I saw beings passing away and being reborn, inferior and superior, and so on. Now this beings who behave wrongly by body, speech, and mind. Yeah, the three kinds of karma: body, speech, and mind. Central e sanye who revoked the noble ones, held wrong view, and undertook actions based on wrong view. Yeah. So this is one key thing. Uh, for our views to be considered view, it must be strong enough that you are considered to be holding on to it. Uh, view is just a word. Yeah? 
But if you have a certain opinion about certain things, an opinion is just an opinion. But if you hold on to your opinion to the point strongly, that is considered a view, to the point where it shapes your actions, then you have to hope that your view is correct. Now, the question sometimes that people bring up is, so who defines what is wrong and what is right? Yeah? There are some Buddhists or nominal Buddhists who will say, oh, but you are just, Buddhism in that case is just like any other religion. Uh. Not the same as yours, then you say go to hell. <laughs> uh. So here, when we say right or wrong view, is basically, firstly, is it in line with reality? Your view, is it in line with reality? Simple as that. Yeah. If it's not in line with reality, then it's wrong view. Yeah, then it's wrong view. Not so much whether the Buddha says so or not. Which is why in Buddhism, there's the verification process that everybody must go through on your own. To verify, then you can be convinced that that view that we call right view is really right. Otherwise, it's just a, a belief. Or, yeah? It's just out of faith, out of conviction, because your father mother is a Buddhist, because uh, Sufu is quite nice, or maybe some of the, uh, sometimes the other brother sisters bring childhood quite nice. So uh, okay lah, <laughs> yeah. uh, because Louis bring Tupperware, then you are quite happy. So, but if if you have not verified for yourself, then it's still just a concept. Yeah, only when you have verified for yourself and you know that that is true. Yeah, that is the case. Then it's no longer just a view. It is the truth that you have experienced and seen for yourself. Oh. Uh, any? This was the second true knowledge to say by me in the middle watch of the night. Ignorance was Spanish, and true knowledge arose. Darkness was Spanish. Light arose, as happened in one, who draws the vision, Aden, and Resolute. But such pleasant things that arose in me did not invade my mind and Thank you. So, from this second uh, watch of the night, uh, again, he had this true knowledge and ignorance was banished. And similarly, the, when this happened, the pleasant feelings that arise as a result did not invade his mind and remain. Yeah. So first, is his own life and past life. Second, the past lives of all the sentient beings. Yeah. What happened next? Healing? When my mind was first concentrated, purified, bright, unvanished, free of imperfection, malleable, beauty, steady, and complete to imperturbability, I directed to knowledge of the destruction of the things. I directly knew as it actually is. This is suffering. This is the origin of suffering. This is the cessation of suffering. This is the way leading to the cessation of suffering. Thank you. Uh, next, Louise. This is the way leading to the cessation. I directly knew as it actually is. These are, these are the things. This is the origin of the things. This is the cessation of the things. 
This is the way leading to the cessation of the things. Thank you. Yeah, so, uh, here, the third watch, then he directed to uh, go and observe. Okay, so what constitutes, what is suffering? Then he observed, ah, this is suffering. Uh, what gives rise to suffering? Ah, this gives rise to suffering. Uh, then, when is that true end of suffering? Uh, this is sensation, and so on. This is what we call the four noble truth. Yeah, uh, this is not something that he formulated, but this is what he directly knew as it actually is. Yeah, he observed. Okay, uh, what exactly people suffer over? Uh, this is true suffering. Indeed, this is suffering. That is suffering. Yeah. Uh, where did suffering come from? Uh, the, ori- the, the cause of suffering, yeah? which is craving and clinging. Then when craving and clinging completely come to an end, then is there cessation of suffering. And also the way leading to the cessation of suffering. Christina? When I knew and saw thus, my mind was liberated from the taint of sensuous desire, from the taints of existence, and from the taints of ignorance. When it was liberated, there came the knowledge. It is liberated. I, I directly knew birth is destroyed, the spiritual life has been lived. What had to be done has been done. There is no more coming back to any state of being. Thank you. Andrew? Uh, this was the third true knowledge attained by me in the last watch of the night. Ignorance was banished and true knowledge aroused. Darkness was banished and light aroused. Arose. Uh, arose. As happens in one who dwells, who dwells diligent, ardent, and resolute. And such pleasant feeling that arose in me did not invade my mind and remain. Thank you. So this is from Mahjima Nikaya 36, Maha Sachaka Sutta. Um, and in the last two paragraphs, uh, the Buddha see that, okay, he has already attained enlightenment. He saw thus, my mind was liberated from the taint of sensual desire, from the taint of existence, and from the taint of ignorance. Now, these three, these three taints is what causes ignorance to arise. Yeah. These three are the Precursor to ignorance. And once this is removed, then all the subsequent links are all uh, eradicated. Yeah. So if you attain enlightenment, you should know that you have attained enlightenment. So if you don't know that you have attained enlightenment, chances are you have not attained enlightenment. Put your palms together. Yen